0: Unspoken Issues. All right. Well, then here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Unspoken Issues Podcast. We are coming back at you. We're heading where no man has gone before. We are. Be <laughs> well, that's right. You know, look, this is. One of my favorite things to get into, and that is crossovers. since so many of these things happened in the '90s. I don't think there's that many nowadays, as far as I know. Not as many as uh, that were high profile like this one we're getting ready to talk about. And that is when the Star Trek Next Generation (TNG) crossed over with the X-Men. This happens in 1998. Book drops May of 1998. Our writers are Dan Abnett. And Ian Edgington, penciled by Kerry Nord, Scott Koblish inks, John Kalis on colors, and Chris Eliopoulos on lettering. Now, not here alone, of course, this was not suggested by me. As much as I wanted to read this, this was not suggested by me. Dean Compton is here, of course. And I know you uh, you threw this out there as a choice for us to choose from, but there was one other person... Your significant other that said, well, it's got to be this one, and that is Emily Scott. So, Dean Compton, Emily Scott, welcome to the Unspoken Issues podcast. Dean, why did you pick this book?
1: I don't know, man. you always asking me these questions. I feel like an athlete sometimes. What was going through your head when you scored the touchdown? (laughs) I was fucking glad. Honestly, uh, for the same reasons that you're discussing, I like crossovers a lot. And while I do think there are plenty of crossovers now, like the big two don't really cross over anymore. They don't cross over with each other. And uh, there are uh, sadly few of the others. You know, I know we recently had like Batman Ninja Turtles but yep. like and you know the the dark horse guys predator has met like everyone in the dc universe like i swear to god there's been like predator agent liberty or something but they don't really do that as much anymore and with those the the, the predator and aliens going you know they're marvels now essentially because of the disney deal with fox mm-hmm. we're not going to see we don't see as much of this stuff anymore Like you said, between the big two. These are two very disparate franchises that have incredibly dedicated fan bases that stretch back to about the same amount, you know, same period. I know The Next Generation came out in 87, I want to say. And um, uh, I know they didn't start in the 60s, but Star Trek as a concept did. X-Men debut in 63. So uh, there's a lot of crossover between the fan bases. So I wanted to see how they were going to pull this off. It's interesting to think about because this drops in 98, the uh, UPN, the network's been on for three years, Voyager, uh, their biggest hit in a lot of ways up to this point. Uh, Marvel's doing the Star Trek comics, but for years, DC did them. And it's funny because in 1988, I think if you had a Star Trek X-Men crossover, whether it was original series or Next Generation, people would have just shit on it, man. They would have gotten over like a fart in church. And because I think both fan bases took themselves... Oddly seriously at the time. Really, I had a friend who was into Star Trek, and I was like, oh, I'd be cool if I literally was like, this is like '93. I was like, it'd be cool if Star Trek like met, you know, some of the Marvel guys. I don't want to uh, uh, you know besmirt Star Trek with that. And then there were comic book guys who were the same. Oh, they were wow, like, I don't yeah. think add Star Trek, I don't want them meeting Magneto. On, but I yeah. was always intrigued by the idea, and corporate synergy put us in a place where it happened, happened in the 90s. That's my heyday, that's my wheelhouse. I'm
0: going to yeah, knock this is. one out of the goddamn heart. All right. I love it. Emily Scott, Dean was telling me that you've been watching some TNG here recently. And I assume that influenced your decision as to why you were like, okay, I want to talk this one. So uh, I guess lay it on me here. Tell me about why you kind of gravitate towards the Star Trek, Star Trek TNG, however you want to put it. Um, what what brings you to that franchise? Why do you Why do you enjoy that? Uh, property so much and and why did you say hey it's got to be this one
2: I, know, I was sort of avoidant of star trek for a long time for as much as I love a lot of sci-fi and a lot of you know oh we're on a spaceship shows I don't know how to say this without sounding like ooh but it was almost <laughs> too popular even okay. though like trekkies are like it's a very different world now you know at the time growing up like It's not like they were running the world. You know, I watched every episode of Red Dwarf before I watched a Star Trek Uh, series.
0: Okay, all right, I got you. I'm like, like,
2: oh, I love Farscape. Oh, you like Star Trek? Okay. Um, (laughs) I am Queen Dork of Dork Mountain. Thank you. (laughs) Most of my exposure to it was my dad falling asleep on the couch watching the original series and Star Trek. The Next Generation being on syndication yeah.
0: constantly,
2: constantly, constant fixture of our, our adolescence, childhood. But it was always the same five episodes. Okay. And it always seemed to be these really serious ones. So for a long time, I was like, oh, it's this super serious show. It's so dramatic and right. kind of sad. And and then I started hearing more about like, oh, there's an episode where Beverly falls in love with the go- grandmother's lover, who's a ghost and has ghost <laughs> sex.
1: And, oh like, my wait, goodness! Are we
2: talking about the same show?
1: That didn't happen in the crossover. <laughs> not a lot of not a lot of ghost sex in this one. That would not be approved by the Comics Code Authority. No, it would not. No, it would I not. I mean, maybe It's pretty pretty toothless tiger. Come ninety eight. Go on, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> but also again it was really like the same
2: 10 episodes. So imagine my surprise when I started watching Next Generation and there's 25,000 episodes a season. So this is my first watch through. I'm like okay. actually two episodes away from the end oh, of the series, uh, which
0: is uh, the end of the series is oh my goodness, all good things, right? Is that the yes, name of the Okay, that is, yeah.
2: That's the name of the episode.
0: Yeah.
2: And uh haven't seen it
0: yet, so no
1: spoilers no, oh, I will not we'll spoil anything. <laughs> I'll spoil. I'll spoil some. It's for dorks. <laughs> <laughs> for
0: dorks. Uh, it's a uh, great couple of episodes, and it is a fantastic <laughs> series finale. I'll put it that way.
2: So this comic did kind of spoil <laughs> First Contact for me, which I also haven't seen yet. But... Oh wow. Okay. All
0: right. Yeah. <laughs> it's
2: at this point. It's been so long. I have no real right to complain.
1: There's there's a statute of limitations. On <laughs> yeah, you things. got
0: this. Yeah, right. The spoiler statute um, of limitations.
1: Believe it or not, the uh, the Enterprise crew. They win in the movie. <laughs> Sorry, that was spoiled for you. The good guys, the the, the title characters got it done this time.
0: They win. But well, wouldn't it be cool if
1: they, they didn't? Like, if you had a mirror universe Star Trek and like it was Trek Star, and they showed up and just fucked everything up.
0: Oh man, man, would I love that, Emily? So it's just TNG right now. Are you after that? Are you heading into like Deep Space Nine or Voyager or doing any of that?
2: I really thought I would want to take a break.
1: Again, there's so many.
0: Seven seasons, right? I think Um, there's seven. Yeah,
1: seven seasons in three movies? Four Uh, movies? I think there might be four. Yeah. I know there's like Generations, First Contact, Nemesis.
0: Maybe that is it. Maybe Nemesis is the last one. Uh, oh, and Galaxy Quest. No, I'm sorry. I, I mixed that up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes.
2: Yeah, I saw Galaxy Quest several times before I ever watched it. Okay.
0: Well, I, have I've you, never seen a,
1: Galaxy Quest. There
0: is a, a fantastic documentary on Amazon Prime right now that is called, uh, oh, yeah, I have. I can't even remember what it is, but it's, it is specifically about the making of that movie There are plenty of Star Trek uh, actors that show up uh, lamenting the fact that this was not a Star Trek movie. It's a it's a great documentary. So, Dean, watch the movie first, then watch the documentary. You'll love it. I think it's I can't even remember what it's called, but it's uh, uh, whatever that catchphrase that he says in that movie over and over. hammer. Oh, what I can't remember what it is. I'll have to look it up while you guys are talking. Then I'll just yell it out there. When
1: <laughs> I think the thing for me with Galaxy Quest, all I remember is like seeing like the print ads for it, and being like, "Man, Sigourney Weaver looks good. This might be the best she ever looked." <laughs> <laughs> and she looked good before you know what i mean like you're not know saying that are like oh she was ugly now she's pretty Sigourney weaver finally got it going on i mean i was like wow, that's really
2: good everybody so. knows the best she ever looks is alien resurrection
0: ghostbusters 2 <laughs> okay solid right. argument
2: so- <laughs> you both said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: It's a consensus. There you
0: go. Ghostbusters, too. Gordy, if
1: you're listening, you're welcome.
0: (laughs) So, okay, it might be a good idea to take a break. I mean, it is. is, That's a lot of Star Trek. Uh, Now, Dean said, are you watching Picard, too, at at this point? uh, Did you watch any of that?
2: I have watched part of the first season. I watched the trailer for the casting of the third season, which was. uh, (laughs) I also watched that pretty excited i think i actually gonna jump into deep space nine uh i'm really mad about how the show has done worth dirty a lot but i'm ready for more worth so okay all right um i've already I, seen the you know the crossover episode with where uh, the D, where the deep space nine characters are on next generation right
0: all right. never surrender is the name of the documentary by the way never give up yeah. never surrender so yeah watch no, uh, it's not the documentary
1: for me i was born to quit <laughs> I, was, I went from
2: no star trek though to like three like, i watched all of lower decks now oh i'm okay. caught up on discovery which i started watching because my best friend told me david cronenberg was on it and <laughs> could not watch that had to
0: go all right gotcha had to get it yeah you are jumping headlong into the Star Trek lore then. Dean is sitting over there. Told me a story earlier. Well, the
1: first Star Trek memory I have, like, I was, like, three or four. And this is in a day when, like, people, like, only had, like, one TV. I'm not trying to sound old, but, like... I've been it there. wild. And, like, they brought the TV into my room because I was sick. And this is, like, this is a thing that used to happen. It's a big fucking deal. That's a
0: big deal. You get a, it's a TV big deal. in your room... Yeah, My dude. room?
1: Television? Is this <laughs>
2: legal? Now kids are like, you watch TV on TV? Right, right. Yeah, man. right. We watch TV on a broken down TV. Right, right. TV on top of a TV. that didn't work.
1: My dad brought the TV in there, and I remember it was late, and like Star Trek came on probably 11 p.m. is like Sunday night. And I don't remember the episode. I don't remember Spock being on it. But I remember being like, man, they got some electric stuff. Doing some photon things. That outlet's electric. I bet if I mess with it enough, I'll do some Star Trek shit. Are you kidding and, me, dude? No, I'm not kidding you. This is on oh. the real. And so I start messing that's with funny. the outlet and I shock myself. And I think Spock's name was shock at the time as well. And I was like, <laughs> oh ah, shit. And like my dad's like, what are you doing? I was like, trying to, you know, explain it to him as well as I could. He was like, well, that's stupid.
0: And the TV immediately went out of your room. they they It's confirmed everything that the parents have ever thought about TV, about how it makes make think, kids do stupid shit.
1: I think, <laughs> honestly, what's really sad is not the dumbest stuff I saw from TV. Uh, I'll tell you that sometime when we do a Ninja, <laughs> Ninja Turtles thing. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I think Dad didn't take it out, probably because it's hard to bring it in. I'm like, ah, well, I'm not messing with that right now. It's fucking midnight or whatever. <laughs> But that's my first favorite of Star Trek. The, the the big one, though, that I like to tell people is uh, when I was in ninth grade, I had been into comic books now for like about two, three years, and uh, not the most popular time to enjoy superheroes and comic books. I remember I had a girlfriend in seventh grade for like three days, and she broke up with me through somebody else, but they didn't tell me. So what? I thought I had a girlfriend for like three fucking weeks. What kind <laughs> of bullshit is that? <laughs> so that was my experience with ladies going up here. This guy brought the Star Trek shit. These micro machines, Klingon shit, old enterprise, new enterprise, board ship, something else. And like I'm messing with him and I'm asking him questions. This isn't too far, you know, away from the shit I already look at. And like I look out of the corner of my eye and like the three prettiest girls in class are just like, they're disgusted. <laughs> like they are looking, at, they are looking at me like, you know, like my arm just became rocky road ice cream and i was eating it like it was something like fucking terrible like how could this be going on oh, oh my man. god it's gross and disgusting and i always thought in my head i could see i could still remember the look in their eyes to this day and the thought in my head i was like i was like dean you can't be messing with this stuff or you're never gonna touch a girl's boob <laughs> ever. <laughs> So I told him, I was like, ah, this stuff isn't that cool. You know, let me go over here and read some Night Watch You know, like, that was a lot cooler. Right?
0: Yeah, there you go. People. <laughs> you know, it's
1: like, I don't think you understand the intricacies of the Ultraverse. Keep that Star Trek shit away from me. <laughs> That's for dorks. So, yeah, so I've always been peripherally familiar with it. I mean, obviously, there's no way that you can, you know, be as into all the shit I am. You know, from G.I. Joe to the Marvel Universe to like Michael Myers stuff. Most of these people, a lot of them like some incarnation of Star Trek. I remember also in 99, I forgot about this until just now, when we would stay up all night over the summer with my friend Levi, and we'd stay up all night doing drugs, TV Land showed the animated Star Trek in the morning. They had like a Saturday morning cartoon block at the time. And uh, and we would stay up and, like, we would be... I, I remember, like, tripping acid and, like, staying up to watch the uh, Star Trek the animated series from, like, the 70s. Oh, yeah. And uh, I don't remember much about the episodes, but I did enjoy them. I remember thinking that it was cool. I could tell that it sucked. Like, if you were, like, a Star Trek fan, you probably didn't like it. But if you weren't, like, it had charm. No, those are my big... And obviously, you know, my brother's a big Deep Space Nine fan, like, really loves it. Heard, I, I, I'm familiar with it. Like, if you ask me anything... Like, not anything, but I know the premise of, like, the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and uh, Voyager. And after that, I kind of lose track.
2: It's almost impossible if you travel any kind of nerd circle to pick this stuff up. Like, even having never watched a Star Trek show more than some random episodes, I watched Lower Decks, which is all Star Trek jokes, and got about 75% of them.
0: (laughs) It's nice osmosis
1: right. right they had better toys i would have gone into it sooner like those micro machines were cool but like there weren't good star trek toys until like 1993 with the uh, playmates next generation right right, right dude uh, yeah. you know like so i remember like the 70s you watch that shit they just slap like spock on like a police helmet right? you know mm-hmm. or what yeah. the fuck ever. there wasn't right. anything when i was young that'd be like oh this is interesting you know like wheeled warriors or uh Visionaries that I'm not super into now, but I was interested in it at the time. Yeah. And it wasn't there just leaping out at like eight year old
0: D. For me, my stepdad prior to the one I have now, one of the things that he, he was into was Star Trek. He, he enjoyed watching it whenever an episode would come on, he would watch it. And he was also into watching the movies. So that's kind of where I learned and, and started, you know, started watching some of the films specifically the films, I didn't really watch a whole lot of the original series because that wasn't on a whole lot. We definitely got into, uh, he watched Star Trek 2, and I remember watching that with him when it was on like ABC. And I was like, oh, this is is actually, I mean, how can you not watch Star Trek 2 and not enjoy it? You know, it's a great movie. Whether you're a Star Trek fan or not, it's, 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 there's a lot to be said about what that movie brings to the table. So I'm watching that with him. Uh, and I think I end up watching, I get inter- mildly interested, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock on HBO or something at the time. Or speaking of being sick, I was sick and I was staying at my aunt's and she had a satellite. You remember the big old satellite dish?
1: Oh, yeah, man.
0: Yeah, you had to tune that stuff in and she was tuning in whatever was showing Star Trek Three at the time. Then... But Star Trek 4 happens. It's time travel. I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this is getting better. How could Star Trek get any better? This is awesome. We've got to go watch the next movie, Star Trek 5. Me and my stepdad go to watch our first Star Trek movie together in theaters. And it's Star Trek 5. So um, he walked right. away from that not too happy. <laughs> it's just not a great story. When you compare it to the rest of the Star Trek films, it's probably one of the weakest, but okay. So TNG happens. TNG starts happening. And I'm Emily. I think I was kind of like in your boat where I was catching it on syndication on Fox. Uh, This is the block Star Trek, the next generation, two episodes of Andy Griffith followed right after that. And it usually was between (laughs) nine and 10 o'clock. Maybe it was 10 and 11. I was at a house where we didn't have cable. All we were able to do was pick up Fox, NBC, NBC, um, An ABC, maybe CBS if we were lucky, or switch those with one of the others by Bunny Ears on the back of the porch. To uh, When I was able to watch something, uh, if it was sci fi related, it was probably Star Trek that I could find and maybe Sliders. Friday nights on Fox was, you know, Sliders hey and X Files, baby. X-Files. Yeah. yeah.
1: Briscoe so, County Jr. I've oh. a few people that
2: watch Sliders or watch X Files so I could watch Sliders God. instead of
0: the other way around because everybody was a big fan of x-files that was like yeah i mean that spoke to me so much it's like man this is the greatest block of television ever but anyway so (laughs) so there's tng for you i went to i think i went to the theaters actually no i think i've watched all tng movies on vhs i'm fairly certain what we're getting into it was meant
1: to be seen that's
0: right what we're getting into tonight emily you mentioned it earlier this takes place like it says, one minute after the events of Star Trek: First Contact, the plot of that, the Enterprise ends up going back in time to stops a Borg invasion into the past. After all said and done, they decide, okay, well it's time to go back. But this event in this comic takes place one minute after they leave that time period, and instead of going forward. They went backward even further. They went back into the late 90s. I mean, I'm going to run down characters here. We're not going, I'm not going to read everything on this page because, my gosh, they do a fantastic job of a two-page spread right at the beginning of this to give you, if you don't know who this franchise is versus this franchise, there is all the information you'll need. And Probably that was something characters.
1: they did across the Marvel books at the time. If you picked up an issue of Avengers, it would tell you who all the players were. If you picked up the X-Men, it would tell you who all the players were. And sometimes it would fold out. It would also tell you what had happened in the couple issues prior. And honestly, I think it's something that we miss in comic books. Like, you you, you can't tell the players without a scorecard. And you pick up a book, and if you don't know any of these guys, you know you don't ship from Apple Butter about any of these guys, what do you care? And I think that this was like, you know, one solid paragraph about everybody. Yeah, and you're right. There's like they break down like nine characters on each side. So anyone who has <laughs> ever heard a snicked or been close to a teleporter beam, they got
0: right. It's
2: do though, they genuinely do a great job of like getting everybody across. Yeah, I,
1: I miss it. I think it's a great technique and it takes up no space, really.
0: No, I mean, it's your first two pages, and it is essential to kind of get you into what's going on in the story. You want to understand who these characters are. Plus, in the middle, you have the plot of what just came before, because you kind of need to know what kind of happened before this. I wouldn't say you absolutely need to, but they want to set it up nicely. And they're probably obviously tying this in with the film. Dean, you might know a little bit about this. I noticed that when I was doing my research, this is the first thing you'd think of was like you see Marvel and then you see Paramount and you're like, oh, these two companies are crossing over. But they said Paramount was an imprint of Marvel. Uh, yeah, you know about uh, Marvel
1: that? had gotten the Star Trek license from D.C. I think D.C. loses it around 1996, 95. And uh, is a very hot commodity. It, you know, DC had had this license since like 1984, 85. Both their original series comics and the Next Generation, they were big sellers, uh, popular. They were never gonna be fucking Spawn. Listen, however many you ordered, like you're probably gonna sell. You know, as long as you're like, I'll take 7,000 copies of Star Trek, the next generation, number 13. That's probably not going to work. One for every episode of Next Generation. <laughs> One for, right, 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 exactly, exactly. But, like, if you ordered it, you had a certain number of people who would always buy them month in and month out, the Trekkie people. And then if you put them on the shelf, you probably sell another five or six copies, which now you kind of kill for to sell six shelf copies. But, yeah, Paramount was the imprint that they put all of their Star Trek comics under. They did a Next Generation. They did Deep Space Nine. They did an original series. They did something called Starfleet Academy which I don't know if it was original people at Starfleet or Captain Kirk at Starfleet, but I know it was about the Starfleet Academy. I know that. And there was also Star Trek Unlimited. I've never read it, but if it was like the other Unlimited, it was a quarterly 64-page book that you know usually had two stories in it, You know, like X-Men Unlimited or uh, uh, Fantastic Four Unlimited, Spider-Man Unlimited, before the cartoon Spider-Man Unlimited, which is a different thing. We're not going to talk about Different. It. Different.
0: different. Well, let me go ahead and I'll run down the characters here. Emily, I'll name the person. You just say, okay, who this person is in regards to the, the Enterprise. Uh, kind, of, kind of in the name, Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Who is he?
2: He is Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Picard of the USS <laughs> Enterprise. Find Perfect. that song if you haven't heard it.
0: That's All not right, even that's the best cart song.
1: So what about Banditos, baby?
2: But everybody already knows that one. yeah if you have even heard
1: that one by now, right, you're right. too young to be listening. To everybody knows the world is full of stupid people.
2: <laughs> he is indeed the captain of the USS Enterprise, and uh, he loves... Shakespeare and tea and playing the flute and okay. kind of being an
0: asshole a lot of the time that he can be. Yeah. Now, Jean Lucas had his run-ins with the Borg before, but that really doesn't come up in this comic a whole lot other than the Personally fact
2: that he not. Yeah. I think so. Considering how closely his character specifically is tied to the Borg. Right. Part of me kept waiting for like a a joke, like an Easter egg mention of him being Professor X. And then I remembered we went back in time to the
1: 90s.
0: (laughs) He's not Professor X yet. Yeah, this is 90. He was in our hearts. Yeah, He wasn't
1: in our hearts actually That's a great point because the first wizard Casting call was the X-Men movie And they came out in like it would have been like 93 maybe 94 And that was who we all wanted to be Professor X from the start Absolutely right. there was never really any other choice I no. also agreed with that casting call Because they were like Dolph Lundgren should be Colossus And I was like yeah that works
0: Then we have Commander William T. Riker
1: He is the
2: first officer Of the USS Enterprise number one And he will be in charge of the Enterprise while Picard is off doing X Men things. All right, Commander Data. Cool as hell. (laughs) If Data's not your favorite character, what are you doing?
1: I don't know which. Your life and your he a robot with a cat. Now I'm not trying to steal your thunder, but like you go ahead and say more. You go ahead and say more, but like how do you not love that? Now you go on right.
0: Was not the name Uh, Spot? was the spot spot. yeah yeah okay all right didn't have a spot on him
2: about spot that everybody on the ship doesn't like that poem slaps that poem is great (laughs) die on that hill they don't deserve data
0: (laughs) all right so android right yeah he's an android robot man commander data very
1: brain Uh, is he like a lieutenant commander
0: be a commander he was lieutenant gotcha uh, gotcha yeah commander deanna troy
1: you
2: know, Troy, the ship's counselor, who does later indeed take the bridge test, become a commander, half Beta Zed, and therefore telepathic, empathic. Uh, good person to have around if you want a vague idea of what is going
1: on. We're in tight clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Diana. Yeah, she's great.
2: Dr. Beverly Crusher. The chief medical officer of the Enterprise, who... Can apparently just cure unknown diseases in half an hour that have been found in <laughs> distant parts right. of the galaxy, dormant for millions of years. She's, she's just on top of it. Uh, Lieutenant Commander Jordy LaForge. Chief Engineer of the USS Enterprise. Kind of a creep, a little bit sometimes. Good guy to have her on in a pinch. I'm trying to remember what he does
1: in this conversation. Blind? <laughs> not
2: by the time of the comic he's He's got his visor
1: but like when i was a kid like i remember seeing him and he's the reading rainbow guy and for whatever reason i remember playing star trek like once or twice with my older sister and i took like a hair thing and put it over my eyes so i was Jordy laforge because like now like like a hair band
2: we all did that's the influence of star trek i didn't watch the show when i did that too
1: yeah yeah i was like how fuck yeah now i can see I could see before. I was mocking his <laughs> disability.
0: But now you can see and you look still doing it. See.
1: I can see worse now. <laughs>
0: uh, okay, then we have Lieutenant Commander Worf.
1: I was so
2: happy to see how, again, I was upset about some of his treatment on the show The Next Generation, but he's one of the stars of this book. I feel like he and Wolverine really steal the show. But he's the chief security officer of Enterprises, but I don't know what his title is on
0: Deep Space Nine. He's the jobber uh, to
1: the stars.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know either. I just know that he's... That's what he is,
1: though. Like, on the show, like, every time he shows up, he's, like, he always gets, like, ninja kicked. And he's just, he's supposed to be a badass. But this other guy beats him up to show what a badass he is. He's a jobber to the stars. He can beat other, he can beat jobbers. And he can beat other jobbers at the stars, but he can't beat, like, if Goro from Mortal Kombat shows up, he can't beat him. My <laughs> mind is- I'm sorry. I mean, I like Worf. I think he's cool, but, like, he's a okay. jobber to the stars.
0: Lieutenant Commander right now on the Enterprise here. This obviously happens after Deep Space Nine. The Borg.
2: They are a bunch of... Well, they're actually not a bunch of anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they are a collective.
2: They are a collective. <laughs> Like to assimilate everyone who, prior to the events of this comic, have tried to go back in time and prevent the first ever warp flight from
1: Earth. That's correct. First off, like, the Borg? Cool as fuck. They got a oh, cool yeah. ass ship. Like, it's just oh, a man. big cube? Just a big cube?
2: What yeah. a visual, just that cube. Yeah, like,
1: the micro machines I mentioned, that was the one I was drunk with. Like, what the fuck is that? <laughs>
2: We talk a lot about seeing like Star Wars. I know mean, it's probably sacrilegious to bring up Star Wars in this, but like, yeah,
1: it is,
2: actually. <laughs> people talk about seeing like you know the Star Destroyer the first time or the Death Star for the right. first time. But seeing the Borg <sighs> like, is almost as iconic and almost as creepy.
1: Right? Maybe Borg, so in a way, so, yeah. because the Star Wars ships at least look like ships. Like this looks like somebody is playing like Hellraiser Yahtzee. <laughs> you know, what I mean, like, it's wild. Um, also, my thing about the Borg, I can't say this for sure because I haven't read a bunch of uh, mythos, but I think it's a thinly veiled criticism of, like, communism. It comes across as such. Okay. It comes across like, you know, if we if, if everybody was in one society, everybody would be the same, no individuality. And again, I don't know if that's true, but sometimes it comes across as that way to me. I don't know if that was the author's intent, but... Okay. You know, also also it's cool when Picard is aboard. What's his name like Lucutus? Lucutus, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I got a fucking <laughs> Funko mystery mini. I'm not even into it, but he looks cool. It's a great He
0: badass, man. Yeah. He looks,
1: he looks badass. He's got a he's got a cyborg guy. I know it has a targeting system. That means he will never miss.
0: All right. All right. Well then, now, now it's your turn, Dean. We're going to run down the X-Men. I mean, people All are right. here. If people are here and they don't know about the X-Men, here's our t- opportunity. This is right, our right, opportunity. Right, right. It'd be X- funny
1: if you were just serving like, oh, I'm X-Men, I've never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> like, weird <laughs> if you were on this podcast. But if you are, welcome aboard. You're in for That's a ride. Right. And somebody's- obviously, chime in as much as you want, Emily, because I chimed in on yours. So.
0: All, yeah. Always somebody's first episode. So here we go. Yeah, you're
1: right. You're right.
0: Dean Compton, tell me about Wolverine. First, Wolverine, the coolest, like, one of the coolest guys
1: ever. He's got a healing factor He's got claws in his hands. He doesn't have an adamantium skeleton right now, but he did before and he will again. Basically, he is a killing machine who takes care of business. And I love him. Yes, indeed. Claws up, baby. Claws up. I will just look at Emily sometimes and be like, hey, you know what I like? And she'll be like, what? I'm like, Wolverine. <laughs> this happens at least once a week. At least.
2: At least.
0: <laughs> All right, then. All right. Well, tell me about Storm.
1: Uh, Storm controls the weather. She is Emily's favorite X-Man. Favorite. You know, she was raised as a, a goddess in Africa later when that didn't work out. She was a thief. Professor X discovered her, uh, got her off the streets uh, of Cairo from the clutches of the Shadow King. She becomes leader of the X-Men. She's she's arguably the most powerful X-Men in, X-Man in many ways. Uh, great character. Everybody loves her. A strong That's- black woman character in a to- in comics in a time when there weren't a ton of strong woman characters, let alone women of color. We've got Angel. Angel is a mutant who has wings. Warren Worthing into the third, dad's rich, dad hates mutants. Not a great combo. Later on, apply he gets crucified by his wings to gets turned into a- into Archangel by Apocalypse. And I think at this point, like his metal wings had fallen off. And he melted. His, yeah, of. yeah. They, they well, he like they, he like molted essentially. You know, like he had these cool. He had his feather wings underneath, and uh, so he's just doing the angel thing again. I okay. think the later he'll have the ability to like go back and forth. I like Archangel better. I'm one of the few people. I'm like that looks cool. Oh, what With an awesome thing on his look. Head and- Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and I think part of it is like when I got into this, that's who it was. If you had been into it earlier, like you probably thought it was a stupid change. But for me, I was like, he's got razor wings and blue skin, purple costume.
0: Look at that. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. Tell me about Nightcrawler.
1: Nightcrawler looks like a demon, but has the kindest heart. He teleports. It smells like brimstone when he does. He was raised in a circus. His mom is Mystique. His dad is Sabertooth. Don't talk to me about that demon shit. He does sword stuff. He's a swashbuckler. Swashbuckler. Three swords. Three swords, swords motherfucker. Three swords. One with his tail. And uh Picard will point out that he likes his swashbuckling in this issue, which I <laughs> I was kind
2: of hoping they were in a sword fight together.
0: <laughs> oh, that would have been awesome. Would've been awesome, yeah.
2: That's my one complaint, really, about this comic is it's like we got <laughs> some cool moments between characters, but you could have had
0: like dozens. Oh, yeah, this should have you know? been well, it's already okay. 64
2: pages, though.
0: I know, it's not a
1: complaint about it, just like you know, uh, you, six,
0: yeah, it should have been a three issue series or something.
1: All right, Kitty Pride, uh, Kitty Pride, uh, has had a million names. I prefer the name Shadow Cat, <laughs> also known as uh Ariel Sprite. Catherine Pride. She's in Excalibur at this point. She phases through stuff. And when she phases through uh computer stuff and and uh it quits working. That's right. And uh and she is one of the few superhero characters that we have actually seen uh grow up. Uh, much like Dick Grayson and I think Tim Drake to an extent, early Peter Parker, we have actually, you know, she's actually aged, while someone like, you know, Storm has not. Colossus. As weird as this is gonna sound, my favorite X-Men, but not my favorite character in the X-Men. He's Russian. He turns into a he turns into uh, steel, he has organic steel skin. The gentlest soul on the X-Men, which is saying something when Nightcrawler is around. Oh, right. um, and he takes care of business. I love him because like he's so gentle, he never wants to hurt anybody. But if you look sideways at his friends, he will beat the shit out of you. Unmercifully. Tobarish. <laughs> uh,
0: all right. Next up and last on this X-Men roster is Banshee.
1: Sean Cassidy from uh Ireland. The Banshee screams. He's in Generation X at this point. He's a very good like uh leader and molder of uh, young mutants. He uh, he can pierce people's, you know, he screams and it's not pleasant to listen to. Him. This power also enables him to fly, you know, he can use it to like hold himself up. I think it's cool when he has the the X Men yellow and black under his you know those like glider glider wings under his arms. That's about it. I like it. he's a guy who I don't know a ton about. I know he was in the FBI for a little bit. What a life! What a life! What a he's life! He's also yeah. married to Moya uh, McTaggart, but uh, I think after I think he is right now. Right now. In the '98, yeah. Mm-hmm. After you know her and uh her her and her and Chuck broke up. Her and Chuck X. Which? Chuck's. Why don't we call him that? Chuck- Chucks like C H U X,
0: that's right. All right, and then our villain of this piece at least one of the villains, I should say Kang the Conqueror.
1: Um, it's so interesting to see Kang fight the X Men, yeah. Like, he's not really an X Men villain, although I do think he's big enough to be what you would call a Marvel Universe villain, although he mostly really ever fucks with the Avengers and uh, the Fantastic Four. Kang the Conqueror, he conquers eras of time. Supposedly he has the 28th through 35th centuries conquered. He tries to conquer ours a lot. The Avengers stop him. That's pretty much it. He has a weird visual that like should not work, but I
0: fucking love it. That's it's the purple red again. Or the purple, the purple green, blue. red. Yeah, it, yeah. it,
1: it's like, it's like he just went into the club. This is what he had. <laughs> and you know, and he went with it, but it works. I nothing nothing, nothing, nothing but kudos to Kane. KTK. <laughs> All
0: right. The other two we're gonna leave off here. The Sentinels and Thunderbolts. Thunderbolts, I mean, I don't even know why they're listed in this bio, to be honest, other than the fact that, hey, they're gonna show up for like a quick second. They're but in a panel. They, yeah, there's nothing there about these guys other than it gives the it gives the crew of the enterprise an idea of what's going on. I mean, the Thunderbolts was the hot thing. I know that much at the time, but I don't know if they deserve, like, hey, this is the bio form, but whatever. I
1: think what uh, one of the things Emily and I discussed earlier, you know, where does this take place? Is it in continuity or not? And I think the Thunderbolts are there. A bunch of the uh, footnotes, like this happens before Zero Tolerance, before Heroes Reborn. uh, I think it's there to let you know this is a Marvel Universe story. Like, if you ask me, I think it was canon at the time. Or at least the Marvel Universe. And I think that's why the Thunderbolts are there, to place it within the timeline of the 616.
0: That makes sense. All right, well, let's go ahead. We will get into our first synopsis. I divided this into three, okay? So here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, first synopsis. The crew of the Enterprise attempt to head back to the 24th century, but find they have traveled even further back to the late 1990s. On top of that, they need to find a way to replace a fused processing core, or the crew will be marooned in the past forever. Scans of Earth find evidence of Shi'ar Tech that might be suitable to repair what is needed to get them home. Worf, Riker, and Crusher all beam, that's the Beverly Crusher, all beam to the surface outside of the Baxter building to find they are on an Earth where super-powered beings are the norm. Uh, another away team makes their way to find the Shi'ar Tech, which happens to be housed in Westchester, New York, specifically at the home of the X-Men. That's right, the Federation team has zeroed in on Cerebro. Unfortunately, they are quickly discovered by Wolverine and Colossus. After a few punches are thrown, cooler heads prevail and the Enterprise crew converse with the X-Men in a study in Xavier's mansion. Trying to explain their purpose for being there and who they are, Wolverine remembers meeting Kirk from the Enterprise in a previous adventure, the 1996 Star Trek X-Men crossover that occurred, and the crew begins to understand that the Enterprise being in this time and space has caused a rift in the space-time continuum. Oh, I love those three words. Um, The space-time continuum, and that they did not just travel back in time but they've also gone into an alternate timeline. It Side- is then sideways. sideways, that's right, that is specifically said, they went sideways. Um they slid. <laughs> <laughs> it is then that Kang the Conqueror appears warning all of them that the rift is causing chronal anomalies jeopardizing all of time and space, and that's where our kind of cliffhanger is going to stop us right there. With Kang the Conqueror appearing with a—I mean, my goodness, what do you? He looks like he's ten feet tall on that panel, huge, pointing down. Oh my gosh, help! You know, you got to understand, X Men. I'm here. Is he a villain? Is he a hero? What's what's going on? And he's telling us what the problem is and that we need to fix it, possibly. So there we go. We're going to stop. That's our first synopsis. We get our intro to the X-Men. We get our intro to the problem here that the Enterprise is facing and how to get back. Dean, I'll go to you first here. What are your thoughts on this uh, first part of this crossover?
1: They do a good job setting everything up. What's really funny is how this, I guess this sounds dichotomous in a way, but until the point where Wolverine shows up, it just feels like a Star Trek episode. Like they're like, ah, here's a problem. Let's go sit around a table. Hey, these are things we can do. Well, let's do them. Yeah. And like that seems to be a lot of incredible. Like they do that a lot, right? Drag them. Drag I'm, them. I'm not trying to drag them. I'm just saying they do it. And um, <laughs> uh, I uh, I like all of the references to, you know, like everything that's going on in the Star Trek world, but also like uh, the eugenics wars. Like are you sure the eugenics wars we have? Right. Like it takes them a little bit to figure out that like this might not be their era. I think my favorite thing, though, was they stuck a little Easter egg in here in the first part. Because when they're talking about the technology, they're talking about the Baxter building and the X-Mansion. And the Baxter building, they're like, I don't know what this thing is. Because obviously, Reed Richards fucking built it. Genius. Right, right. But they're like, but this other Shi'ar technology. But they shouldn't have met the Shi'ar yet. Which to me means that like the Shi'ar exists in Star Trek continuity. Like, this is the, the Shi'ar empire or something resembling it must exist because Riker knew who this was. He knew who the, the technology was. They were able to like detect its fucking uh, well, signal and everything. So I thought that was pretty cool. It let's it, it, it may not be exactly the same. It may not be an incredible uh, empire that's you know interstellar and spans galaxies. It may be you know just one planet, but apparently there is some kind of analog there. I also I mean obviously the Wolverine it is neat to see them without Professor X right now I told I think I referred to it as psionic jail. Like after the onslaught thing, like that, I, I, Valerie Cooper takes custody of him. And I don't remember what they do with him, but he's in some kind of like, boy, this is prison for telepaths. So it's neat to see the X Men act without him there. This is a very interesting X Men team. Like, this has never been. It's just like, ah, we're the people who are hanging out this day. He goes to show you, I love how it's Wolverine who's like, oh, so are you Kurtz people. Wolverine sees it all, man. Wolverine yeah. has fought in like World War II, <laughs> but also like Star Trek World War II. Star Trek,
0: right? No kidding.
1: Uh, so I, I, I like all that. They bring everything together, like you said. They make Kang ten feet tall. The Star Trek people are so diplomatic. It's amazing <laughs> that you know, just when they sit down to talk, they're like this. The only other thing, so the last thing you know, is like when Colossus punches Data. Oh my like god! Data tries to grab it. And, it, and, and yeah, I know nobody's it's not in a thought bubble or anything, but when he punches it back and he just slides back on his feet, and he's still got his hand up and he just goes, interesting. He's calculating probabilities and he can't find one where he can beat Colossus. He can't yeah. find like this guy. Like, what are you going to do? What, what exactly are you going to do? If you can photon torpedo and maybe, but if he gets a hold of you again, he will rip your Android head off. <laughs> Meanwhile, mean, for Colossus, it's Tuesday, oh, right. I have
2: to fight a robot. Oh what? Okay. Yeah. It's it's my size, it's not even right. a size. Okay. Yes.
0: Yeah, that it's was a great moment. Violin, great moment. I'm fine. <laughs>
2: As a cat that wrote a poem about, I'm fine.
0: <laughs> All right, Emily. What are your thoughts here on our first part?
2: One of the things that Dean and I talked about, we talk about crossover a lot. Dean loves loves, loves, loves the crossover is a true connoisseur of the nineties. Big Love bang. It. and one of the things that we talk about is Which way it would work? Like, if you cross over two things, does it only work in one universe over the other? Could it function in either? This is a really great thing that is kind of both. Like, this could just be a Star Trek episode. It just feels like a fairly normal stuff for the X-Men to do. Right. Oh, we meet people from a different time. Different yeah.
1: place, different reality. <laughs> Again, it's Tuesday. Is it this Days um, of Future Past? Is it Cable's Future? Is it Bitch's Future? Is this House of bimp Is this the, the crossing? Is this Age of Apocalypse? Yeah, it's right pretty,
0: dude
2: So I do enjoy that everyone just kind of rolls with the punches. They all seem to work together pretty well. No real conflict comes from them once they get over the initial, oh, it's Marvel. We got to fight each other for a minute. Right. So, um, Remember
1: that part where they were like, the Star Trek folks are like, uh, we tell you who we are, but you never believe us. It's the X ex- look at this guy. It's a metal guy, the guy with bone claws, they probably will, you know, at least humor you.
0: Yeah. It's then like, immediately
1: time time. Deanna Troy says,
2: Fuck the prime directive. Hi, we're from the USS Enterprise workplace. <laughs> nice. Like I did not even
0: think about that. Yeah. Takes her um, no
2: time at all. Never, never interrogate her. She will just give up immediately. <laughs> Worf doesn't like Jenkos for some reason. Oh, but... yeah,
0: that was pretty funny. He fit in those things <laughs> like, awesome, though. Like, I mean, look I... so
2: comfortable on him. right. <laughs> He's like, Oh, I could do those most uncomfortable pants. Dude, <laughs> you wear that uniform, you gotta tuck down all the time. You should be happy. <laughs> yeah, you know. no kidding. She'd want to stay in the 90s. These two things go together so well. You even have characters from the one who are almost filling in for characters who are missing from the other. Like You've got Deanna there, Troy, there to uh, clutch her head and be like, oh, something. She literally says, oh, something. What? Like I know that she gets a lot of shit for being really vague all the time about what her feelings are or her premonitions are or whatever. But she literally just says, oh, something. something. And you're like, well, if you miss Jean Grey here is a lady clutching her head and
1: not being able to do something because her mind power hurts
2: i feel like people are going to listen to this and think i hate Deanna Troy. i really or jean gray <laughs> De- well that one's
1: been- why did why would you hate jean gray i don't name? hate jean gray but She's well, portrayed poorly on X men the, the Animated Series. The animated series was But like as a, a character, character, you know, yeah, because on the animated series, she's like, Oh, Scott, I lifted a <laughs> pencil. I have to lay down for 30 days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, she's terrible. But if you read the comics, she's actually she's a character you really feel bad for, honestly. Like right. she she's a pretty nice person. A bunch of bad stuff just happens to her again and again mm-hmm. and again.
0: Well, let's go ahead. We'll get into the second part here. You know, we got Kang, who is hovering above the X-Men and the members of the Enterprise here. So Kang gives the teams some devices He's like, look, I'm not here to cause trouble. I need you guys to help me fix some stuff. Here's these chronal compasses. He says, I need you guys to infiltrate and close two of these main rifts uh, in order to return things to normal. So yeah, we got this big disaster that's going to happen in the space-time continuum. All these, you know, whatever's going to happen, stuff's going to implode, who knows? But Kang is like, look, Here's these things. Go out and fix this stuff. So they split into two teams of four. One team consists of Picard, Troy, Colossus, and Nightcrawler. And the other is comprised of Storm, Worf, Data, and Wolverine. All with the goal of finding and stopping these anomalies. Now, so Storm's team finds themselves on a ship in the midst of the Battle of Wolf. 359 The federal or the federation's last stand against the Borg when Data realizes things seem a bit a bit different from recorded history As the Borg are actually boarding the ship, when there's never been reports of this ever happening, so he's like, "What is going on? You know, why are the why are the Borg on these ships during on this ship during this battle?" And then Storm realizes that the Borg are there to try and capture the X Men because it's a new species to add to their collective. The mutants themselves bring them in. So then Picard's team, uh, so they head into a rift and they find they're in 2013, specifically the events of the Days of Future Past. Targeted by some sentinels, the team are able to make a stand, but Troy is disturbed by an un, unknown, ominous feeling
1: <laughs> by something. <laughs> Do you think she's ever like, oh, I think I'm hungry. And then she just like shits her pants. Like she has she no idea she what it know. is.
0: She had no clue. She didn't know.
1: She's like, I, I have this unknown feeling in my stomach. Well, all she ever eats is chocolate. So maybe.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. No kidding. Nothing
1: yeah. but respect for the Anatroids diet. <laughs>
0: uh, so she has this unknown ominous feeling. It seems Kang has sent them out to actually make things worse so that he may manipulate time more easily. So there you go. That's where we want to stop with the synopsis here for that second part. All right. I'll go ahead and give you my notes here. OK, I already kind of said this. The Borg wanting mutants to add to the collective. I thought that was actually a really neat element of the story. Like them s- stopping things and being like, holy crap, we got a new species. Oh my gosh. Do you see what these people can do? We need to add these people immediately. So they are just like in the midst of battle, they're going on to ships t- trying to find the mutants, uh, which is awesome. Heading back to the days of future past and battle of Wolf 359. So these are two, very significant events in both franchise histories. So I went to the internet and I was doing some research. And I think that is where the Enterprise uh, first encountered the Borg. If, if I'm correct, and you help me out here because you just watched it probably recently here, Emily. And then Picard ends up getting uh, assimilated. Am I right yeah. there? Okay. All right. So huge event for the Star Trek next generation um, mythos. And of course, Days of Future Past, Dean. I mean, come on, man. That's like one of the biggest X Men stories that's ever been told. As for yeah. for like, it's like the smallest graphic novel I ever had, but <laughs> it's like one of the <laughs> one of the best stories out there. Um, it's
1: astonishing to think that so much that would impact that franchise and the Marvel Universe, and apparently, goddamn Star Trek came out of just two issues. You're talking about Uncanny X Men one hundred and forty and one hundred and forty-one, two right. issues. Now that would be like a fourteen issue thing. Oh, two kidding.
0: issues. Okay. This
1: issue, everybody dies. Um. Yeah. I really. I, I mean, obviously, Days of Future Past so important. Cool to see two seminal moments for both, and I, I, I for both franchises. And I think with the mutants and the Borg, it had strong phalanx covenant energy. Okay. Like I know that's what the Borg does anyway. I'm not saying they just copied it, okay. but it was funny to see the mutants be like, "Well, this is new, but also." Familiar, Mm -hmm. they want to be assimilated by something, uh, something techno organic to take their powers and make them a stronger collective. They're like, We have done this (laughs) Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) Although, I do think the Borg are like, if they fought the Phalanx, the 90s Phalanx versus 90s Borg, got to give it to the Borg in the 90s. Okay, the Annihilation Phalanx, I would give that over the 90s Borg, but I don't know where the Borg has gone since then.
0: Okay, all right, then.
1: But Annihilation Phalanx is led by nihilist so they've got like a little,
0: yeah, a little, little bit more. I hear you, a little yeah. edge to them. Um, all right, my third and final note was don't trust Kang. Like, did you not Thank know you. what you're getting? <laughs> <laughs> not know what you were getting into here. They should have known better, but they were like, "Oh, we gotta do this." We got to do this. We got to go save we got to save the universe. Is obviously what we're doing my get, my only head canon is that they verified that Kang what Kang is saying is true.
1: There's a panel about it where, like, Picard's talking to Storm. Picard's like, "Is motherfuckers lying, right? She's like, yeah, but, like, we're going to have to do it anyway. Sometimes you have to march into a trap knowing it's a trap or at the very least a bad situation knowing it's going to be bad. And I think in that panel they show you that's the choice that they were making. They didn't trust Kang, but they didn't know what else to do at that point. They certainly couldn't ignore it because they're both familiar with, you know, what he said, you know, there there might have been a degree of truth to it. Because, like, they've certainly been in instances where, like, oh, if we don't get out of this reality by 8.14 p.m., the whole thing will implode. So that's how I took it. <laughs> Emily has a different <laughs> POV. All right, then. Because they just
2: get through with Worf and Wolverine having a real bro moment where they're, like grizzled, haggard veterans of alternate realities and, you know, mirror universes or whatever having a moment where they're like, "Oh, this shit again. Yeah. Again, like, it's Tuesday. Uh, got, like, punching the clock at the time rift factory. <laughs> and then two seconds later, someone comes up and is like, Oh, you're in a different reality. Well, all reality is going to end. You got to get on this. And they just take it at face value after two seconds.
1: No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right, you're right, you're you're right to call
0: right. them out for it. All right, Dean. What do you think here of our second part? What do, you got to, what do you got to say?
1: It's the part before things like really happen. You kind of just see the beginning of the Days of Future Past stuff. I look. Picard fucking goes off like a champ like, just, like, blast the Sentinel, and he's all, like, Deanna Troy's like, I so those X I'm enjoying themselves, like, being all judgy, like, Picard is obviously into this man, he's like, oh, how dare they, but I do love how, on, honestly, not just because they're my guys, one of my favorite things is how subtly, again and again, the Star Trek people are, like, the X-Men are more powerful than us, and it's not necessarily, I don't think that they, like, they meet people people are more powerful than them all the time, but there's this, like, respect where they're, like, I think we'll let them take care of the giant murder robots. <laughs> Storm blows away the whole Borg. You know what I mean? Just like, here we go! You know what I mean? And they're like, alright, well, <laughs> you do that because my face is already not working. You
2: know what happens to a Borg who gets hit by lightning? <laughs> the same thing as everything else.
0: Uh, oh, that is a very bad X-Men quote. Actually, 2000. Yeah, yeah, that's I'm right.
2: Sorry, to this day, I will die on this still, too. The punchline should have been, what happens to a toad that gets hit with lightning? It croaks. It croaks. Oh,
1: that would have been right perfect. It was right, right there. there. It's right there. I enjoyed that they were like, listen, we're going to split into teams. Let's mix these teams up. This is like a really like delicate operation. They've never worked together before. You'd think that, you know, obviously for our purposes, we're reading it. They need to split up. But it seems like in real life, you'd be like, well, let's stick together. You know, this team and these guys, y'all know what y'all do, right? We know what we do. Let's not fuck that up. (laughs) Uh, You know, unless you had to, you're like, well, this team needs a big, strong guy, well, Colossus.
2: These are both two larger teams that are good at making sub teams, and you gotta mix
1: up. You need like a translator. That's fair. And also, I do like how like both teams got a metal guy. I do like
0: that. You know, Panic in the Sky just dropped today, Dean. And one of the questions I remember you asking the panel was like. You know, do some of these team members belong with each other or should we exchange anybody out? You got any you have any any qualms with what we get in these teams here?
1: No, no, I, I mean, honestly, my bigger qualms would be just, like, people I would have liked to have seen in the book. Like, I wish, like, Kang and Q had worked together. Oh. I like Q, and I think that that would have, like, worked really well. Yeah. You know, especially because Q's probably just fucking with Kang the whole time. And it oh,
0: work. it would be awesome. You know, what I mean, be like, actually, like
1: this is all dumb. Kang, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know? He's like, I just wanted to flirt with Picard. Um, <laughs> I wish, honestly, there. Were, this is around the period of time where Cable's in the X-Men, I would like to see cable just because I always like to see cable. But like as far as how they divide these teams up, everything really makes sense tactically speaking. They really put together a a, a great teams. And when you have like Riker and Storm and Wolverine and Picard to like be like to be like this, how we're gonna do it? You're gonna get the best teams possible. And I think they did a great job. I think also card wanted to be with Nightcrawler because he liked the swords. Swashbuckling.
2: But it gets everybody over. Yeah. Because they do work together so well, you're like, okay, these are guys, you know, top-notch guys working at the top of their game. Right. Everybody looks good. You're right, right. And yeah.
1: Worf does job. Like, I don't think he does anything super cool, but he also doesn't get jobbed out. That's an extra good day for Worf. That's and right. and Wolverine still. Look, it's the worst. They, they have, they have a. They, I would watch a buddy cop movie, Warf and Wolverine, and. Warfaring. <laughs> uh, all right. The streets aren't safe. Neither space. They're coming. You know what I mean? Like, it's
0: <laughs> that's great. I
1: would, would have liked to have seen Beast in this. I yeah, Beast would have cool. really fit in very well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you see all the—I mean, you see all the next generation people I can think of. You know, for the most part, I'm sure there's a couple. Oh wait, I would have. Oh, hold okay. on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I would have liked to have seen Chief Engineer O'Brien. Thank
0: you. The I would have liked
1: to have seen him. Yeah. Okay. Honestly, you put the beast in so he can hang out with them. It would be a really natural. Oh
0: yeah, part. like there's a problem with the transporter or something, and O'Brien yeah, used yeah, to hang yeah, out exactly. and have themselves uh, a
1: good old
2: time. It came with last shit. <laughs>
0: All right, Emily, you got any notes for this
2: second part here? It was nice to see Picard blow a sentinel away because it's not just Tuesday for him. He does not do that every Tuesday. Oh, no. How powerful oh, are those spacers?
0: Right. <laughs> well, there's, there's, you that I mean, space that is set like, to kill, you sir. You can kill, kill a ship with those. <laughs> Uh, it was too. nice to see Tasha as well. Yeah. Yeah. We're about, we're, I'm about to mention her here in this next, this next part. There's a very good possibility. She may have showed up and I just didn't put her in the synopsis, but yeah, that's, that's kind of a throwback too. So the last
1: part is just Kane being, or Kang being the most evil guy ever, right? Yeah. Like just just sitting, just on sitting on his there, chair like, <laughs> and just being like, ha ha, these fucking idiots. Look at them. It's, if I have a complaint about anything, it's that, like, I love Kang and I think he was a great villain to choose. I don't think they get the most out of him. I think he just comes across as very, like, ham-pisted and very just, like, mustache-twirly. And while he does choose scenery well, I think using something like his love for Ravana or something would have been better, you know. Uh, but at the same time, somebody's got to be the villain and he fits.
0: Yeah, you're kind of, I wouldn't say hamstrung, but you've got, a certain set of things that are happening in this story where you've got to try and pick a villain that makes sense. So Kang's a time traveling villain. The Borg are time traveling villains. Let's put them together. Oh my goodness. What's going to happen?
1: Yeah, I, I know that there are X-Men villains that might have worked a little better, or not worked better, but do similar things, but I don't think any of them have the cachet of Kang, you know, like mm-hmm. Kang the Conqueror. Like, Fitzroy goes through time, but, like, oh, well, the Star Trek guys are going to show up to fight fucking Trevor Fitzroy. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Legion might have worked, you know, if Legion is oh, still wow. been alive. You know, yeah. and like, because he was able, he figured out a way to go back in time and stuff. And I think Apocalypse could have worked really nicely, but I get why they use Uh
0: I believe the plot of Star Trek X Men, where the, the Kirk uh, version of this story, the one that preceded this, Proteus yeah. ends up being part of that. So,
1: like, then you weren't going to use him again. And he's probably the biggest reality shifter guy. I, right. Is there a next generation villain y'all would have rather seen? Like, like I said, I think I would have rather seen, like, apocalypse as the villain uh possibly it's the only x-men guy i can really see working
0: man i don't know dude i mean
1: i mean it's fine if there's not i'm just curious well no I, I'm, just, like, I'm just go ahead i just
2: would have liked to have seen a little more borg sentinel uh you know symbiosis assimilation crossover right. you know that's right. true it kind of gets alluded to and you see a bit but there's
0: no real like It's worth reiterating what you were saying earlier is like it's 64 pages, but my gosh, there was so much more you could do with this. Yeah, and you. I, I understand they're probably like, we can't go more than 64 pages. What are you guys crazy? Really, they probably did this comic and they were like, we have so much more stuff we want to do. Let's do a novel.
1: <laughs> and then, <laughs> right, right, that may be yeah. part of it. <laughs> and also, when you read the last two pages, where uh, Tim Toy, Tui, I can't pronounce his name, he's my Facebook friend, he's a nice guy, uh, editor of Marvel Comics. I mean, like, maybe Paramount didn't want a miniseries. Maybe Paramount was like, hey, let's one and done this thing. I don't right. know, but when you read the last few issues, they had to get this done. Very, I think they made this comic in, like, eight to ten weeks, So, which is crazy, you know, to get it done in that short of period of time. So maybe this is all they could get done and have it come out when they wanted it to come out, which is kind of piggybacking off of First Contact. Right. It's you're, a great popcorn
0: comic. Dude, and you're a fan of crossovers probably as much as yeah. I am, you know, and where else are you going to get this other than in Agreed. a comic? Uh, you're I not agree. going to visually be able to see this anywhere else other than in a comic. I mean, unless somebody yeah, 100% else wants 100% to
1: correct. They're not, they're not making a star Trek X-Men movie. No, soon.
0: it's not going to be happening anytime soon. We're going to do um, it now. All right, here we go.
2: Crowdfunded, baby. <laughs> Today there will be one media company and then we will get
0: this. Ah, uh, yeah. Right. All uh, right Then on the bridge of the enterprise, Wesley Crusher and the traveler, appear with dire warnings that they are aware of Kang's plans. All right. We're stopping right here just for a quick second because Emily's got to talk about Wesley Crusher and the Traveler because we didn't really talk about them at all. And these people listening to this need to know who these two guys are.
2: So Wesley Crusher is the son of Dr. Beverly Crusher, who we see on, you know, the first few seasons fairly regularly of next generation before he goes off to the Academy and he has an interaction with this character named the Traveler, who phases between reality. I can't remember exactly what the conflict is in the episode where he see him. But basically, he can travel <laughs> wherever, wherever. We see him one or two other times throughout the course of the show. And then the very end of Next Generation, Wesley is being a jaded teenager and doesn't really know what he wants to do with his life, and he's not really feeling Starfleet, and there's a very weird episode that, having nothing to do with this, Um, then the Traveler shows up and is like, hey, by the way, I'm going to take you on a vision quest, and then tell you that you actually can be like me and travel around with me, and I'll show you all the sights. He goes off with him together, into the unknown, uh, fulfilling the brief of Star Trek. <laughs> Ironically, didn't want to be in Starfleet, but still went where no man has gone before. They show back up. I don't know if this is the first time in Star Trek continuity where we see them again after they disappear
1: on Next Generation. Traveler, like, he was like the Phantom Stranger. He shows up, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm here to say something cryptic. Oh, what you're doing is bad. <laughs> you better do something different. Why don't you do it, man? Why don't you just you. travel over there and fucking take care of this? Hey, you know, Why are you here? I, if you can travel anywhere, why are you traveling here to tell us to go tell somebody something? <laughs> you go tell somebody something. I guess they do. They need somebody else to go tell somebody at the same time. But it seems you can travel like this. Like, why can't you do that? And just travel like you. I don't know. A poor man's doctor, I guess, as mm. well. He came across that way. Oh, don't Good. talk about him that way. He's nice. He just wants to help people. Who, the traveler <laughs> yeah.
2: or the doctor?
1: Yeah, the traveler. No, you can say whatever you want okay. about the doctor. All right. Well, I'm not. OK, well, I'll take that back. But he does come across as the Phantom Stranger here to me. OK. Where like, oh, here's a big crossover. I'm here to say some words. <laughs>
0: All right, so Wesley Crusher and the Traveler appear with dire warnings that they are aware of Kang's plans. With this news, Wesley and Kitty Pride head to warn the teams in each reality. Back at the Battle of Wolf 359, the team finds John Proudstar, a former X-Man, as the lieutenant to Benjamin Sisko. Assuming he is the anomaly, they look to take action. What action would they take? I don't know what the plan is here, but that's, you know... Whatever. They're they're looking to do something here to try and s- cease this anomaly. Uh, but they're stopped by Wesley and Kitty. Thank goodness. As Kang becomes aware of Wesley and the Traveler's involvement outside of Kang's time ship, the Enterprise appears firing at it. Back in 2013, Picard and the rest of the team find Tasha Yara attempting to send Kate Pride's consciousness back in time. Picard believes Tasha Yara is the anomaly and looks to correct it. However, Wesley and Kitty appear to warn them. Immediately, They are attacked by a hybrid of Borg and Sentinels, baby. With the help of Deanna Troy, Tasha is able to complete her mission while Kitty and Colossus stop the threat of the Borg Sentinels. When everyone returns to the Enterprise, they now must still deal with Kang and his ship. With a bit of targeting help from the Traveler, the Enterprise hits a critical system of the time ship, causing it to apparently implode. As time begins to heal, the X-Men help repair the Enterprise, getting the ship back on its feet. The heroes say their goodbyes and use the chronal compasses to return to their own times. However, when the X-Men return to Earth, they are astonished at what they see off panel in scene. So there you go. Yeah, what in what in the world? Certainly there's going to be an issue too. No, ladies and gentlemen, there's only going to be a novel.
1: Planet X by Michael X-S1. Jan Friedman and That's right. This is a time in the 90s Marvel really tried to bust into like the uh, the pulp fiction market, you know, the section of Walden books or Borders or whatever closed store you used to like to go to, uh, you know, that had all those, here's the books about robots and dragons and guys with axes that only wear the loincloth and, and Doom novels. Hey, here's the novel about Doom. They would also be found there. So they were trying to break into that stuff. There were uh, several Spider-Man novels, several X-Men novels a Generation X novel, and probably some stuff I I can't remember. It's not the first time Marvel tried to do novels, but they really tried to get into it in the 90s with varying degrees of success. And you don't need me to tell you, Star Trek novels have been popular since, I don't know, at least the 80s, and maybe older than that. So, like, this was a great way to kind of piggyback into that market, you know? I mean, bring them in for the Star Trek and then keep them around for the X-Men. Well, I've never read this novel, but I, I guess I will. I mean, this was a good enough setup for it.
0: Emily, we'll start with you. We, we finished up the story here. We got Tasha Yar showing up. We've got John Proudstar showing up here.
2: It was interesting timing for me to read this because I have just literally like a day ago watched the episode where the Traveler shows back up for Wesley Crusher. And it just came so out of nowhere. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That crazy. I'm still processing this, so then to see them here just showing up is this, like, day-saving... You're
1: still processing that, like, event, and now he's, like, hanging out with Wolverine.
2: He's <laughs> like, everything's been fine. We're still been <laughs> traveling. So, so much more natural. Even though Star Trek is Star Trek and just about anything can happen in Star Trek... It just still somehow felt a little off tone to have Wesley Crusher get whisked away in this way. Right. Wolverine and Worf getting along is just not surprising. Makes sense, yeah. The (laughs) honorable
1: warriors.
2: (laughs) And I also wasn't quite sure what was going on with the plot in a couple points. Like, I didn't understand the thing with Cisco a ton. Yeah. Uh, Everything else was written sort of clearly, and then this part gets a little muddy on the details. Mostly I was like, hey, it's Cisco. Hey, it's Tasha Yar.
0: Right. Did, uh... and, and I think
1: that's that's the fun of crossovers. I mean, sometimes, you know, they can play fast and loose, but the whole point is just to have the mark-out moments. You know, you're seeing Tasha Yar. You see Proudstar, you know, you know saving Cisco's life. You know, those are the things. Yeah. If they if, if if all of a sudden the time-space warp do Hickey McDagger, uh, they don't explain it very well. Well, you know, I mean, that's not why we were here. We were here to see Wolverine slice up some more.
0: Uh, so here's my thing with the John. Uh, that's one of my notes down here was the John Proudstar thing. I think what the purpose of that was both John Proudstar and Tashi R, They died in service for the teams, right? John Proudstar, help me out here, guys. You probably know better than I do. He was, well, he was
1: in the new X Men. He died on like their second mission. He first appeared right. in Giant Size X Men Number One.
0: He died fighting Count Nefaria, and and Yard, Same thing. Now, as to why John Proudstar is serving with Benjamin Cisco, no clue.
1: Yeah, because they say the reality's trying to fix itself. So what happened? It's not so much that like John uh, Proudstar or Tashiar had to die, but Cisco had to make it through that so that he could become what he he becomes the uh, uh, envoy of like some like i don't know yeah i like, can't yeah, remember I name, but about. like the masters of the universe some time guys <laughs> and for days the future past to work like for that to work kitty pride had to be sent back and if they had killed tashi yar or they had killed, Sis- or, uh, killed Proudstar or killed proud star to get rid of these anomalies cuz they didn't belong there those things wouldn't have happened and then kane could manipulate the reality as he okay. wanted Although, I think I hadn't thought about the fact that they both died early, so you're probably right. They probably, to fulfill both, these guys needed to die. Like, Tashi needed to die for Star Trek to work, but Kitty had to go back in time, her consciousness did, for the X Men shit to work, and inverted on the other one, Cisco needed to live through this so that he could become. I can't remember these folks' name. Y'all, y'all should know. Y'all <laughs> the Star Trek people. But, uh, but he becomes the envoy to this like special group of like powerful people. Proud Star died in the Marvel universe, so I think that was just reality. I got to It's making it work.
0: That makes that makes sense. What I was doing was I I was thinking linearly. Like, I was like, how does Proudstar end up on the ship all the way in the future? And those were questions that were bogging down my mind when I was reading it. And I shouldn't say it, like, completely took me out of the book. It just made me go, well, what's what's going on here? Clearly, it's exactly like you're saying there, Dean. I think that that makes a lot more sense to me now. At the time reading it, I'm like, ah, oh, it's time stuff. I've got a note here. Emily, you tell me what you think. Borg Sentinels. We needed more. We just needed more. <laughs> I think that once again, for kids these
2: days, kids these days, if they have not watched the X Men cartoon as a young person, which I guess kids these days are parents or millennials, so they probably have, but you might not understand how terrifying the Sentinels were, how large they loomed for so many of our generation. Um, terrifying. Morph died. This, yeah, Morph. Same with the Borg. That's Even fair. Even not being a Star Trek fan. You're like, the Borg's scary. <laughs> right. I'm watching horror movies and not am being scared. I see the Borg. I'm like, oh, damn.
1: <laughs> they, it's, it, it's a great visual. They do get across the utter terror of losing your uh, individuality to this humanity. old machine. But could possibly get a robot eye that would have a targeting system <laughs> in it. And then when you shot, never miss. Sometimes you got to trade.
0: Some of the worst stuff with the Borg is like when they would remove like the Borg parts and like you see just like parts of the human that's left. That's just disturbing. And and of course, I mean, the good thing is, you know, Picard got away with it and got out of it without having too many scars. He's lucky because there were people like, I mean, it's like 80 percent Borg and there's not much yeah. left of these people. And it's it's the body horror all over the place. Sometimes it's scary.
2: David Cronenborg. That's why they had him on Star Trek eventually.
0: David (laughs) Borg. I
2: like uh, the episode with the Borg and Data's brother and Data's brother is doing all these like experiments on the Borg. Yeah. And that's even more horrifying.
0: Yeah. And the Sentinels, one of the biggest threats to mutant kind, unstoppable killing force sometimes. I mean, they they were a that was their their sole duty was to eliminate mutants. Now, all of a sudden, these two things come together. I mean, it's kind of what you wanted in the story. You want the two. Uh, you, you, now you, ha- you have the two villains that are in this story. And now we're going to just start getting the worst of both stories combined, you know, both franchises combined and uh, yeah.
1: You know, it's funny when you think about the Borg and the Sentinels because they're both like robotic and unfeeling, but like they're almost inverted because like the Borg doesn't want to kill you. They want you to be a part of them and they want you to lose who you are. The Sentinels want you eradicated. That's right, like, because right. they are the end result of human prejudice. While theoretically, the Borg are the end result of technological togetherness.
0: And interesting, interesting. So they're kind of an and inverted
1: also, thing.
2: They're terrifying for sort of inverse reasons because the Borg are terrifying because you see the humanity in right, right. You see these people, and the Sentinels have and been absorbed into this. Thing they're trying to absorb you into. The Sentinels are cold, zero. You could never reason with a Sentinel. You could never imagine captioning, capturing a Sentinel and giving it a spark of individuality and humanity, like they do with the Borg. It's that absolute cold, relentless, like slasher in a horror movie. Relentless, you know. Yeah, it's it's like a Terminator. It's a Terminator. The only but also
1: it's different because the Borg still on some level, are like a society. They're beads and everything. The Sentinels, at the end of the day, are guns. And it was humans who aimed these guns at mutants. It was humans who decided that these people didn't deserve to live. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and I think that makes the Sentinels more terrifying to me, in a way. Because the Borg is a separate thing it, it, It's it, that's trying to assimilate and kill you in a different way. The Sentinels mean that somebody who's just like you decided you should be eradicated. And I mean, you think
2: about just the effect one member of the Borg having a spark of humanity, how that affected them. You assimilate the Sentinels' uniqueness into the Borg collective.
0: Yeah.
1: What that's going to do to them. Shit. Scariest <laughs> thing I've heard of since climate change.
0: I mean,. <laughs> one thing unites them though the drive to do that one thing whether it be yes. assimilate or whether it be eradicate uh it's that drive that unites them and then we have just like hey, we, we got this abhorrent joining of these two things did you think we were going to get that deep on borg sentinels when we got <laughs> i did <laughs> not at all i i and i'm sitting here wondering like did the writers know what they were doing when they did that we're putting these two things together is this the immediate thing that I'm going to go for is Borg Sentinels or am I actually going to put thought into it like we just did and go like, damn, you know, what would be great and actually work on so many levels This Borg Sentinels.
1: Well, I know they didn't have a lot of time to work on it because, you know, like I said, if you read the last two pages of this, like it's all like I think that they got a treatment done in like two weeks and then like had the book like done in like another like four or five weeks, like. Ready to be written. Like, I can't remember the exact timeline, but it's very quick. And Board Sentinels just works. And I think. Borg is also, like, we just got deep into it. I think there's a lot of moments in this book like this, or the Shi'ar Star Trek stuff. These guys planted seeds for us to talk about on a show like this. They knew it was going to happen in 2022. No, for real, but for real, it was something for fans to discuss. We're not going to explain quite everything, what the implications are. Y'all are into it. Y'all will do this on your own time, and you'll have great conversations and, uh, you know, thoughts and fan fiction and stuff about it. I think that was kind of done purposely. The only other thing I was going to say is I thought it was pretty cool how, like, at the end, they're just like, well, what are we going to do? I guess just shoot Kang's ship. I guess just shoot it a whole lot. Because <laughs> that's all they do. Like, oh, it's not working. i shoot it some more.
0: <laughs> I, travelers, I like, love shoot it right here. Right there.
1: This <laughs> spot. All of a sudden, they're fighting the Death Star. You should have that spot. It should just make it implode across time. The ending was almost like the ending to like a fireworks show. It's just a big finale. And, you know, there's a bunch of lasers, photons, missiles, and Kang lines up, banished until he shows up for the Kang dynasty uh, in the year 2000. And it was also like the end of,
2: of a Next Generation episode. They're like, oh. Time for it to end. It's over now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right,
0: right, right. Everybody gets to go home. Yeah, I had a good time with this. Uh, like I said, I've been wanting to read this for a while, and I'm glad I did. There's a lot in here to make just about any fan of either franchise happy. Um, I
1: I mean, that's what I, was, I told Emily this earlier. Like, if you're a fan of Star Trek or the X-Men, it's worth checking out. It's a great popcorn comic. You're going to get lots of cool moments that you're going to like. If you're not a fan of either franchise, there's probably not a big reason. It's it's a good comic, and it's well put together, but there's nothing like earth-shattering in here. Like, it's not, this is a must-read, you know? But if you're a fan of either franchise, you really should read it because you're going to like it.
0: Yep. Sets up that book, too. I mean, if everybody's out there going like, man, I'd love to have a prequel to Planet X. <laughs>
1: oh, <laughs> oh well, somebody just got there Planet is- X. They're like, I don't What happened? I don't know. It's dark. <laughs> i want to make clear too though despite the fact that this does lead into the novel this is a complete story like if you never read the novel you don't feel ripped off or anything it it comes to a definite ending point where you're like if you never read it and i never have and chances pretty good i won't um i might you know i mean but like if you never read it it's fine you're not missing you're not missing anything as far as this story goes
2: uh, I agree with everything Dean said about, you know, if you're a fan of one or the other, you're going to get something out of this. Enjoy it. I really wish there was a little more. I could have done with some more. You know, you were saying earlier that, you know, you got Days of Future Past, two, two issues. But much like, a, you know, TV series, like, I you just want more fun character moments. I could have just done with a little more. It could have been a different story entirely. Wouldn't have had to been a follow-up of this one. Like you said, it's a complete story but just any excuse for Wolverine and Worf to hang out again
0: or for Reed.
1: any it sounds like someone's <laughs> going to be reading planet X. <laughs> uh, I am, I'm going to be always a little
2: bum now that we don't get B showing up on deep space nine to hang out with chief O'Brien. I think it was good. I thought I, I enjoyed the whole thing overall.
1: Did Wait, he's on deep space nine. Yeah.
0: yeah, he ends up on next generation. For he somebody.
1: is. Oh, he's he on is. both.
0: OK, yeah, he ends up. I knew
1: Worf was on both. I didn't know he
0: was. So. I didn't find a whole lot to criticize here. Uh, it was it was a good time. It was a good 90s crossover. And again, where else are you going to find Star Trek crossing over with the X-Men? Star Trek TNG crossing over with the X-Men? I guess we'll go ahead and call it here. Let's go ahead and we'll get into plugs. Emily, Now I know you do some writing for the unspoken decade. I think I've seen a few articles over there. Uh, What else? You got anything
2: else? I haven't uh, done one in a while. I'll have to do another one. But if anybody would like to check out any of the ones I've currently done about comics that 10 people have read, please please check it out. Okay. I've written about some great stuff. Dean has introduced me to some incredible comics. Glad to have read and
0: written about them all. That's what I do, (laughs) that's what he does. He's got a website dedicated just to that uh all right. for
2: 2099 the bill and ted comic oh
0: uh, great stuff mm, chef's kiss mr
1: hero the pneumatic man
0: oh i'll have to look that one up that
1: was a weird one
0: yeah that one sounds <laughs> that sounds different
1: if you all want right. to
2: read the hardest article i ever had to write read that one.
0: <laughs> okay so dean compton tell us all
1: about the unspoken decade all right well we're at the UnspokenDecade.com talking 90s comics articles go up pretty uh often thanks to simi fans hard work um, we're also on Facebook. You can search for us there at Unspoken Decade on Twitter. And, you know, I mean, we're always hanging out there posting pics. You're going to love to talk to y'all. Let us know what you think about this. Let us know what you think about 90s comics. Do not talk to me about Star Trek, unless Star Trek X, man. No, I'm just kidding. Bring that too. It's fine. It's fine. But that's where you'll find it.
0: All right. Very good. Uh, hey, listen, Panic in the Sky dropped today. Now, when this is airing, I don't know, but I can tell you go back in the archive, the source material comics feed. Host my show, The Source Material Comics podcast, along with this show, Unspoken Issues. And Unspoken Issues, I think it was number 55, was me, Dean Compton, and Matthew Price hung out and talked about a Superman event that happened in 1992. And it's not that Superman event <laughs> because a lot of people are probably going, Oh, yeah, Doomsday. And you're like, Oh, no, no, no. Panic in the that sky, brothers. Time, brothers. Panic in the sky. Uh, it was a fun time. We talked about what was it was like, I think six issues. That we covered six or seven issues, something like that. There was a lot of stuff that happened. Superman versus Brainiac. And Superman's not alone. And it was a blast. One heck of a time. Fun time talking about that comic. By the time this airs, there should be possibly a discussion between me and Alexis Haina and possibly Benjamin J. Cologne for the Source Material Comics podcast. We're talking The Last Ronin. TMNT, The Last Ronin. You had a chance to read that one yet, Dean? Yeah, it's sad. As a companion piece, though, I am dropping a solo episode on Fugitoid. Fugitoid. Oh,
1: I like Fugitoid. He's great. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, just because I was like, Fugitoid, I've heard of him. I don't know anything about this guy. He, they're calling him Honeycut. They're calling him Fugitoid. What is going on here? Learned a lot in that episode. So I think we'll call it here. Emily Scott, thank you very much for joining us. Dean Compton, of course. I'm Jesse Starcher. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Unspoken Issues is part of the UnspokenDecade.com, the home for 90s comics, blogs, and podcasts. Unspoken Issues also has a Facebook group you can join if you are interested. Just search the Unspoken Issues podcast and request to join. All of this would not be possible without W2Mnet.com and the Rattlitch and Broadcasting Network, so make sure to seek them out for more podcasts. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please feel free to share, and we look forward to entertaining you again soon.